Hi, Kurt. It's always been a fantasy of mine to have two guys at once. Oh, sure, you can write to Penthouse for him. Meet Veronica. She's got it all. It's great pate, but I got a motor if I want to be ready for that party tonight. So, when you go to college, what subjects do you think of study? Her friends are the most popular girls in school. I'm worshipped Westerberg, and I'm only a junior. The coolest guys. I just want to get laid. Want to date her. <laughs> she should be happy. <laughs> She's looking for something special. And one day, she found him. Greetings and salutations. Who's that guy in the cold think he is, anyways? Who did he? <laughs> His name is Jason Dean. It's in my American history. You're gonna eat this? Welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, episode 32. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And this week we watched the 1988 movie Heathers. So, Charles, tell us about Heathers. All right, so uh, Veronica is a high school student who is somehow in on the popular friend group, uh, which consists of three girls named Heather. But she hates them. Uh, falls for this like edgy looking new dude um, <laughs> yeah and uh, they like work together and accidentally kill one of the Heathers because she was mad at her for some reason I guess this guy like hungers for teenage blood or something because they fake well okay so they, they <laughs> I forgot I, I'm getting ahead of myself they they make that murder look like a suicide yes they do it again for these two like asshole football jocks and he wants to do it to more people, but Veronica finally realizes that this isn't cool, that <laughs> murder isn't cool. The guy is gonna bomb the whole school and kill everybody, but she stops him, and then he blows himself up. You sound very perplexed by this movie. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Crossman, uh, you, you picked Heather. So you've been wanting to do this one for a while, I know. I have. For, I think. Since we started the show, essentially. And we finally landed on it. So what's so exciting about Heather's for you? <laughs> this is a weird movie. This is a really fucking this weird movie. This is a very strange movie. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, which I think is obvious just if you watched it. I... I, I like how weird this movie is. Yeah. It's it's like an anti-teen movie, teen movie. I had to explain it the other day to somebody because I was telling someone that we were watching it for the Obviously podcast. you didn't explain it as well as Carol's did. I, no, I just... I told <laughs> them that, that like the, the basic premise is just that, like, what if this is a teen movie about bullies, essentially? Right. But the bullies are also sociopaths <laughs> and psychotic. Yeah. 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 Um, were they sold? Or were they like, yes, I'm going to go rent that tonight? I don't know if I sold them. It's it's such a hard movie to explain as evidenced by, like, yeah. Charles trying to walk through, like, what happens in the... Like, the events of the film, like, don't... They don't make sense, right? Like, just... Don't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make sense unless these people are just complete psychopaths. Yeah. I mean, and, it's not like well, it doesn't make are. sense. They a, are. It's yeah. not a negative... In, in a negative sense, that doesn't make sense. But in so far as... It just seems so insane, right? Like, everything in this movie seems, in a, in a literal way, insane. I think that's... It's off the rails, like, from the get-go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a crazy movie. Uh, yeah. Even the way that it's shot is bizarre. Like, it has this, like, very intense color palette. Yeah. Um, which we can get it's into. It's got that weird, um, like, dreamy look where the yes. camera's covered by 
whatever. Yeah, it's like this high saturation kind of thing, and mm -hmm. like slightly yeah. out of focus. And yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, this is a weird movie. It's super weird. <laughs> I don't know. What are your thoughts on it, Wilson? I mean, I like it. I like I like yeah. weird movies. I like uh, teen movies in general and genre movies. And like this is all of that stuff um, all at once. Um, what? I think. Go for it. No, I was gonna say I think there's a lot to get to here. Like yes. there's a lot of weird performances. Um, I think the weirdest is Christian Slater. Uh, there are a lot of strange narrative choices, um, and the thematics in this movie are dense. Very, there's a lot of meat on the bone here. So, you were gonna say something. What was that? Yeah, I think, I, I think what it, it gives you is like it gives you evidence that it, it is a teen movie. Yeah. Well, there's a bunch of teenagers in it. Yeah, but yeah. it's really about like serial killers, essentially. Yeah, it's about yeah. serial serial killers. It's also about like very explicitly about suicide itself. Obviously. Yeah, teen suicide. Well, no, teen suicide, but also yeah. just suicide at large and like mm -hmm. kind of the merits of suicide <laughs> like it, it, it's a troubling movie in that way um, so yeah and then it, it's also about suburbia and class and gender um, yeah there's a lot of meat on the bones yeah and the dialogue is really strange too right like I don't know if it's just our distance because this was made 30 years ago but I'm not familiar with any of, or many of the, like, speaking tropes in this movie. Like, when they say something is so very, and, like, leave off the <laughs> adjective. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of Brick in that yes. sense. That, like, it had its own, like, language and pacing. Right. But, like, uh, but, but where Brick's language and pacing is a pastiche, where it's, like, pulling from other things and, like, assembling it into something new. It felt like this was just wholesale bizarre for this movie right like there's and like they have all these weird like metaphors and comparisons that they just use in speech that are like kind of gross a lot of the time mm -hmm. yeah just the dialogue was really striking to me in this in this viewing yeah yeah it was bizarre and sometimes difficult to follow because of their language yes and like how they speak to each other yes yeah I don't feel like I remember specific examples yeah. of the dialogue being weird, actually. I oh, really? Too busy trying to process what was happening. <laughs> what was going on in the movie? Yeah. yeah. That's fair. It often... It's difficult often to tell what... If you come at the movie from the point of view that the characters have good intentions, I think it becomes confusing. Because your, oh, yeah. your assumption is that, like, oh, they're going to do this, and then they, the, the movie has its, like, opposite moral compass. Yeah. And they do that thing every time. <laughs> yeah. So like, they like in a normal team movie, you, you like you say that you hate somebody and you talk about killing them, and then you like don't kill them, and like yeah. life goes on, right? Right. In this movie, they killed the person, <laughs> and then they're dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah, it kind of literalizes all the stuff that would happen in like Clueless or yeah it's, it takes that and it does it, the opposite of what the like Clueless characters do or like right. any, take any other teen movie or even like parodies of teen movies right like right yeah seems like wish fulfillment in a way yeah very uh, much so yeah yeah so it's, it's very like sort of I want to say like id driven movie where it's like yeah your underlying intentions are like what you do and act out yeah it just yeah. molds into one like that is the purpose mm -hmm. for these characters. Yeah. Uh, and it almost like comically, like is okay with the characters' hatred. It's like 
the the emotions of hatred that the characters experience, the movie like endorses and says like, yeah, like these they characters, it, yeah, they, they right. do deserve it. Yeah, yeah, like they, yeah. no, none of the people that die here are really decent people, right? Like, no, no they're like rapists and they're like they're they're, they're, they're misogynists, monstrous or, bullies. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, the, like, I mean, the cruel for are no much better, but yeah, well, no, I, yeah, they're awful too. Yeah, cruel and, for no yeah. reason. Like yeah. just yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, they set people. it all up right at the beginning. Yeah, right? they make sure you know that these are assholes. Right, which I guess is like how you feel as a teenager. Just like the world feels like suddenly very cruel, and the way that like social groups work is often random and cruel and. It's just like what? What would you do if you like acted on that in a in a monstrous way? Yeah, or acted yeah. on all of your like bad teenage impulses. Yeah, right. Um, what do we think of Christian Slater in this movie? Because like he's the one that's the most driven character, right? Like he's the one that's just like looking at his impulses and saying, "Yes, let's do it. Yes, let's do it." Uh, how, so how before did... we get too much in the discussion, I, one weird uh, observation I thought I noticed was the way he talked reminded me a lot of Leonardo DiCaprio's character in Inception. Oh, really? Because the way he talked, for me, reminded me of Jack Nicholson. Oh, yeah? He sounded just like Jack Nicholson. I haven't seen enough Jack Nicholson, I guess, but just his, like, vocal inflection and accent reminded me a lot of that character. It is strange, but it's very, like, this is, like, an early Slater movie. Yes. And he, like, still uses that. Like, he did Mr. Robot a couple of years ago, and it was, like, I mean, his sort of, like, stilted dialogue. Yeah, I mean, I watched Archer. Shortly after finishing this movie, because I've been watching Arthur, <laughs> yeah. and he appears on that like as himself, only a CIA agent. Yeah, um, and I was listening for it, right? Like I was like, okay, he sounds he's like doing Nicholson this whole movie, like uh, so I'm going to listen for it here, and like I didn't hear it nearly as strongly as I did here. Like to me, it, it, this read like a young actor who you know just saw The Shining or whatever and said like, oh, I want to be like that guy, yeah, and like put on his voice because it's so so much Jack Nicholson. To me. Which would make sense, right? Because yeah. the, you know, he probably, you know, was looking for, like, a psychopath to emulate. Yeah. And well, yeah, and if you're, the, a, if you're a young actor in the 80s who wants to, like, make it as an artist, like, whose career are you going to emulate? Nicholson. Nicholson. He's cool. Right? As, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, he's cool as fuck. He's, he's successful. Yeah. He's cool. Yeah. He makes great movies. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Like, that's the guy you're going to want to be like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and The Shining would have come out, what, in the late 70s, right? Yeah. So, like, 10 years earlier, uh, Chinatown would have been out at this point, right? Uh, Cape Fear would have been... I don't, I don't yeah. remember him sounding like this in Chinatown. Really? Oh man! Uh, Am I just completely forgetting? That? Yeah, I mean, he. I think Slater exaggerates it because he's not as experienced an actor as Jack Nicholson. Um, but I think, especially if you watch The Shining and stuff and stuff like that, like you can hear. Yeah, which I haven't seen yet. Yeah, you, you can hear that particular inflection. Um, so yeah, I noticed that like right away in this scene. I was like, "Holy shit, he's just doing Nicholson." Um, but as for the character as a character, like I don't know, how do we how do we feel about him? How do we feel about the the performance? Like it's a bizarre performance from Slater too. I don't know how's how's the character for you, Charles. I mean, he. I thought he sold it. Like he yeah. starts out seeming like that, like cool guy who was in on what was going on, or like outside of what was going on. Actually, he right. Um, like he saw through it. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. sees yeah. The, that's kind of like, what I mean. He sees yeah. the social politics yeah. within the groups, which is like made it like the cafeteria scene is like a really good example of that where someone like comes yeah, to try and bully him and he just yeah. explains exactly what's happening yeah like in yeah. The scene. yeah although he yeah. 
pulls out the gun basically immediately and I was just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah, right? Like, the movie was already a little <laughs> weird. And then it just went really weird from there. <laughs> like he the funny part is they, they play the gunshot noise and just cut the scene you off. Bet. Yeah. So you're not sure what the it's fuck like just happened. She just gunned down those two guys. Yeah. yeah. Like, what? Right. And it cuts to them playing uh, croquet, and it's just like, oh, he, yeah, he shouldn't get suspended because he used blanks. <laughs> yeah, like that's <laughs> fucking insane reasoning. Yeah, yeah, I, I think their attitude toward uh, that sort of thing was very different back then. Yeah, well, it's a pre-Columbine movie. Yes, for sure, definitely, yeah. definitely, because you cannot do that scene. No. no, yeah, this movie didn't get blamed for when Columbine happened, it's, but, it's too but there. But there was a Leonardo DiCaprio movie, Basketball Diaries, that did. It did? Really? I yeah. I remember when Columbine happened and the news media, there were like three major things the news media Doom. blamed. One of which, yeah, one of which was the video game Doom, which yeah. is comical to like, if you... Yeah. If you've ever played Doom. <laughs> if, you, if you look at YouTube clips of Doom yeah. right now, yeah. it's... It's it's the graphics are terrible. There's no way. Yeah, yeah it's comically funny. bad. Yeah. Uh, Marilyn Manson yeah. was the second scapegoat, <laughs> yeah. and then the the third one was Basketball Diaries. Basketball, wow. Because I believe I haven't seen the movie, but I think there's a scene where Leonardo DiCaprio enacts a like fantasy school shooting. Something I've seen yeah. it a while ago, but yeah, yeah, that sounds right. I didn't know that, though, that it was connected to Columbine like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I remember, like, vivid, I was in middle school, so that was, like, a vivid yeah. thing. Yeah. That when happened. did Columbine happen? Uh, it would have been, like, 99, I think. Yeah, so this movie or was... Or 2000. Yeah, this movie was too old. Right? Like, that. that's probably why. Yeah, and I think Basketball Diaries, like, come out within the... Yeah, that sounds like... Five years. Let's see. That <laughs> same era. Wasn't that his Titanic follow-up? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was before... Basketball Diaries is 95. Oh, okay. I thought it was later on. So Titanic. Okay. It was 97. Uh, it was 97. Yeah. <clears throat> 97. Yeah. So yeah. this is pre- Okay. So t- Titanic, Titanic was a follow-up to Basketball Diaries. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Got it. So it's school shooting to Titanic. To Titanic. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen Titanic, Charles? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I saw that in theaters. Me too. It was a good movie. I like it. And yeah, so Com- Combine happens in 99. So it would okay. have been within four years. Even okay, yeah. So that, that makes more sense. Yeah, I suppose because obviously it was media that influenced these kids. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so one of the interesting dynamics that doesn't get a lot of screen time here with first later um, is the relationship between him and his dad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's fucking fascinating. Yes. Right. Okay. Go. You, you it's so crazily written. Yes. So oh what happens? In the movie, is Christian Slater says his dad's lines, and his dad says his lines to him, or what you would expect right. in a normal yeah. father-son yeah, like relationship. Yeah. In like a TV version of yes. their relationship. Yeah. So like he calls so. him like sport and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, he asks him like <laughs> fatherly questions, and then they right. to his father. switch out of it at the end of it when they realize that they've gone too long. Yeah, like that. Yeah, it's not a smooth transition, but like even later on when he's like putting together the explosives that he's going to use to blow up the school, like he <laughs> is like talking to his dad as though he were the son, yeah. and the other way around, and it's really bizarre. Well, it's implied that his father is also a serial killer. Yeah, yeah. And so there's like a sort of genetic like component ca- component to this. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, but there's also this idea of like the. Like the father and the son becoming so close to one another that they are essentially interchangeable, mm-hmm. right? And like that, you live in this environment and this society 
you know, like the suburban society that creates carbon copies of everybody such that it doesn't matter what your role is and you can just like mm-hmm. step into what your parents were doing mm-hmm. as soon as, you know, at, while they're still around. So yeah, just a lot of layers to, to that. Yeah, I, that is a crazy writing choice. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's very jarring. Charles, have you seen Psycho? No. Okay. Uh, Speaking of serial right, killers, and put it on the list. Parental problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you do you know how Psycho ends? Like, are you aware of no. the arc of Psycho? Really? Yeah. Although I actually read a comment about it today, coincidentally. Okay. Something about it being like really, it like really slows down and has a different focus after the like marquee there's, killing. There's a moment. Yeah. There's a. There's a. Well, thing. yeah. It's also again like not a contemporary paced movie. So yeah, because it's not a contemporary movie. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. All right, I'll put Psycho on the list, and we can we can drop it. We can there. return to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other lead here is Winona Ryder. Um, this would have been her first big role, right? Like, I'm not sure what she did before. Uh, I think she had Girl Interrupted before. This. No, Girl Interrupted was like '99. It's like way later. Okay, let's look. <laughs> okay, um, but in any event, she w- was in this. Um, She's a strange actor, actress to me because I'm not sure she delivers lines very well. Oh, yeah. She, uh, Beetlejuice. Uh, she did oh, Beetlejuice yeah. before this. That, yeah, yeah. Well, that like puts her on the map. Yeah, you're right. And then uh, Heather's. Yeah. Right. Um, Typecasting those weird movies, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's like kind of the 80s, 90s, like early goth girl, like alternative girl. Yeah. Yeah, she's not and, really... Go- I mean, I guess Beetlejuice is a gothic movie, but she doesn't appear that goth afterwards. I've... I don't know. I'm not. I'm not in that culture. So yeah, I can't say. <laughs> um, but I'm not sure if she's much of an actress, to be honest. Like I think that she's effective here, um, but she. It feels like she's acting in a horror movie the whole time. Like even when it's not a horror movie, I think I, it seems like she's delivering her lines as though it were. I think one of the more distracting parts was the monocle that she wears. So yeah, bizarre. Like, yeah. I have no idea why There's they so like... There's little quirky details. Like her yeah. dresser yeah. has the punctuation. Yeah, she has the, the punctuation dresser. Mm-hmm. I got that one too. Um, also, the uh, the forgery theme that runs yeah. through it is that, that she is forging signatures uh, throughout the movie. Um, I think that plays back into this idea that you're like losing identity and you're adapting whatever identity is closest to you. Yeah. Because um, that's literally what this character is doing. Trying to mold herself to fit in with the other people. Right. And in that sense, it's um, it's interesting. But like the scenes of her writing where she's just like manically scribbling all over the sheet like <laughs> yeah. a lunatic. Like <laughs> that is another just really strange overacting yeah. choice. Um, so yeah, I... I I think she works in this movie. Wait, is it overacting, or was she like directed? I'm sure she. Yeah, no, I'm sure she was directed that way. Yeah, she like it was intentional overacting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, um, the, so many elements of the movie are cartoonish that like yeah. to not have her do that is right. Great. She doesn't have the emotional range needed to make it believable that she feels bad about anything that's happened in the movie, or that she would feel the need to stop Christian Slater. Right. It's unclear why she stops Christian Slater from blowing up the school at the end of the movie. Other than the broad sense she, that... Well, it seems yeah. like she'd gotten enough after they killed the, the two football players. Yeah, it's not clear why that's the turning point, though. Yeah, but she's, yeah, she's not, like, remorseful about anything. Or it doesn't seem like she's actually remorseful. No, yeah, I and their character is written, I think, to have remorse about some things that have happened. Right. But... She's so stoic she, about it. She doesn't... 
It's not acted. Yeah, yeah. We don't. Uh-huh. There are lines that say that, yeah, she's remorseful, but she doesn't appear to be remorseful. I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, well, that, maybe that's why I didn't notice and it. Her only moment of redemption is like the like obese student. She kind of like befriends at the end, yeah. but it's so like over the over the top like yeah. connecting back to something that happened earlier in the movie yeah and it, it didn't really matter anyways. Yeah, yeah and exactly. it happens over the credits so yeah like, it feels really tacked on yeah um no they're walking off into the sunset as good friends now i'm glad you mentioned that though because i think that there is i think that the slater character is coded as a cowboy yeah right like I, I think that he, he comes, he rides into town. Yes, and, he rides into yeah. town with his big long duster on a, on a motorcycle. Yeah. On a motorcycle yeah. that stands in for you know a horse. Okay. He, he, he wields a six shooter <laughs> to, to blow okay. up all the guys. If you listen to the musical cues uh, that happen, like when he rolls up on his motorcycle, it's like these like vaguely western songs. Uh, when Winona Ryder takes over at the end, she says there's a new sheriff in town, and then they literally walk off into the sunset. And he uses dynamite as his choice right, of explosive. That's okay. like wrapped up with like a piece of tape. Comically old timey. Yeah. 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 I'm almost he certain. Grow a little mustache. Yeah. Right. I'm almost certain that he is meant to come across as, uh, as a cowboy character, which is again a fucking bizarre choice. Uh, but it kind of makes sense here. Like I think that I get where they're coming from in that sense. Right, like as a as a tertiary level critique of action movies, right? Because if we, we were to actually interact with, you know, pick a Western star, pick an action star in the real world, like they're insane, right? Like they, <laughs> these people are psychopaths. They run around and just shoot, you know, dozens of people in any given movie right. and are then heroes. You can't kill people so lightly. Right, exactly. And here we have a guy that's like killing what three or four people, and it's. Like with aspirations to kill hundreds, right? And he's he's portrayed as the villain, right? He's portrayed as, as yeah. a lunatic, um, and I so I think that there's some sort of connection there, on on some level of critiquing like how we understand death as portrayed on film, uh, and they decided to do that by making him an urban cowboy. He gets. Um Kind of like Wiley Coyote at the end. Yes. He, he yes, dies he to his own like <laughs> bomb. Yeah, <laughs> and when the writer just stands there and watches him, and actually, he, and he's unaffected. Right. Yeah. Totally, emotionally, totally unaffected. Unfaced. Yeah. Yo, um, yeah. What? And I love that she stands there and like gets all the soot all over her face and like blows her hair back. <laughs> yeah. Just like Wiley Coyote. Just like yes, again, just like yeah. in, in Looney yep. Tunes, and yeah, again, just uh crazy stuff. I think that's like meant to be like this is a cartoon. Like yeah. you're supposed to have understood the film as a cartoon. Yeah, this is an yeah. impossible movie to take seriously. Face yeah. value it's seriously. Um, yeah, I think that's the writer and director like trying to say like yeah. Yeah. This is a cartoon. What you just saw was a cartoon. Yeah. yeah. And and it is but I mean it's also a cartoon that's uh, dealing with some pretty heady stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, is the teenage suicide song that they mentioned a real song? No, but okay. it, that's it sounded made, a little too made up. But it's yeah. meant to be a joke. It's meant to right. be like kind of like a dare program right. kind of thing. Yeah, where right. it's like, oh, well, if we just turn it into like pop music, then kids will be yeah. into it. And I mean, not. it's literally right. called Teenage do. Suicide. Don't, Don't do, do it. it. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and it's given like a very MTV like music video, which is yeah. like. MTV is obviously like the cultural phenomenon. It's new at this point. All those MTV video games. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, The priest was great. Like the the priest character that 
Was that it at all? Yeah, he was in Beetlejuice, too, and he's one of the better characters in Beetlejuice, too. I haven't seen Beetlejuice in forever. Yeah, that guy's kind of like a tragic figure in in real life, because I think he was, um, he's he's sort of like one of these, like, like out gay people in the 80s actor, and he he died in the 90s, and, like, his career kind of, like, just fell off really hard. After he died? Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um... Yeah, I remember reading his Wikipedia article. It was founding it very depressing. Oh, that's a yeah. bummer. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember him. But he, he, yeah, he's really good in Beetlejuice, too. Yeah, okay. So. But yeah, he was good here, too. Um, yeah, he crushes it. Yeah. <laughs> that that whole, all the church stuff is incredible. Yeah. I, I love that they yeah. bury the two football players in their helmets. Yeah. Yeah. With football. <laughs> Like yeah. in the coffin with them with the high school color scheme yeah football. yeah so it's like a red it's not even a real football yeah they just painted it red or the the uh the first funeral where like all the participants are like jockeying for <laughs> yeah. like uh sadness essentially <laughs> yeah. or like performative sadness right yeah yeah i mean and then and that's another major theme in this movie right is like how how do you deal with tragedy oh how do you deal with tragedy and how do you deal with tragedy when you yeah when you don't really give a shit right like yeah how do you you deal with tragedy you're expected to give a shit because someone died right exactly someone popular especially yeah so i I think this happens like every time there's a school tragedy someone popular but someone popular everybody hated right yeah um so it's like the students don't care so they're looking for ways of like showing that they care without right like actually caring the teachers don't care, but they're trying to discuss ways to like make the, like give the students the space to like interpret their tragedy, right? And to like and demonstrate to them how you're supposed to react to a tragedy. And the right. the yeah. like monsters' main characters are like trying to figure out if they get out of school or not. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Well, the people like, who were her best friends supposedly, right? Yeah, yeah. and I know they they get to. Can't we just opening. get one hour? Yeah. Well, and the, there's that moment in the teacher's lounge where they're, like, discussing what to do, and the principal or whoever has that line is like, oh, man, if he was a cheerleader, I could give him the whole day off. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just, Dear like, God. commodifying and, like, ranking grief and oh, The, the movie is, like, obsessed with social hierarchy. Yes. Like, it's one of the major, like, themes of the movie. Yes. And class is, like, very much associated with that. So the fact that they play croquet is, like, a lot. sort of, like... <laughs> yeah. Uh, like absurdly Victorian activity, yeah. Yeah. like to show that they are like the the most upper class, yeah, and they of, keep serving uh, pate. <laughs> yeah, right? like there's just all these weird signifiers, and of course everybody's in a humongous house in some fancy, clean-looking part of town. Yeah, I was I was thinking that Christian Slater's character kind of reminded me of that dude from Breakfast Club, John Bender. Yeah, yeah. except that. He has a perfectly fine home life, so right. he really doesn't have an excuse for his behavior. Right? Yeah, and that's kind of the nature. Bender or Christian Slater? Christian Slater. But his father's a serial killer. Yeah, but I mean, and they his seem mom to be in dead. agreement, and that's, they're pretty well true. off, all things <laughs> yeah. considered. That's true. They do have a good relationship, considering. Yeah, yeah, they have because they have similar interests, and his mom is dead. There's that too, and um, yeah. but yeah, they're super well off. Like it's obvious that they're living this giant home. I, yeah, I think this movie is like a good reaction to, like, the John Hughes style of like sure. teen movie. Yeah, because this is like, th- I think that's why I like this movie. Actually, because <laughs> like I, I dislike the it's like John a weird satire of it. Yeah, I dislike those movies so much, and this is like, well, what if you just like took the characters and like did the opposite of yeah. what mm-hmm. the John Hughes characters do? Yeah, yeah. it's a, it seems like it's in direct conversation with like no. 
fuck John Hughes. Well, <laughs> like, this is what these characters should do. <laughs> if you look at stuff like Breakfast Club or Pretty in Pink, 16 yeah. Candles, like, he presents these characters, John Hughes presents these characters, the high school characters that are taking high school shit seriously. And he's saying, like, maybe there's something to that. Like, maybe we should be taking this seriously. Maybe there is some gravity to what they're experiencing. And this movie is like saying, it's absolutely insane to take this stuff seriously. <laughs> High schoolers are stupid. They overreact to all sorts of crazy stuff that they yeah. could be reacting to. And if we were to take it seriously, they would destroy everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so in, in that sense, it's kind and of... like, the, the notion that, like, high school teaches you social hierarchy that you yeah. apply in life yeah. is monstrous. Yeah. And you should react to that in a violent way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's just it, like... Like, it, it, it teaches you hierarchy. It teaches you performativity, right? Like, especially the, the hippie teacher that, like, brings them all into the cafeteria to have a love-in about the guys yeah. that died that everybody hates. Um, I think the more interesting question is whether or not Christian Slater was right at the end of this movie, right? Like, should the high school have been blown up insofar as it stands in as a representation of everything? I'd be willing to guess that there's a draft of the script where he does blow oh, up the school. Um, and <laughs> yes, I'm. Yeah, so the I'm sure the writer was talked out of it, or decided that like he just couldn't do that, or they but, bought the script and changed. Yeah, yeah. So, do you did you read the like any research on this movie? Very very little. Do you have any guesses as to who ate the one director that the writer really wanted to direct this movie? Oh man, uh, we've, we've done one of his movies in the podcast. Oh, I was going to say Sam Peckinpah, but yeah. now I'm not sure. So it's not uh, Tim Burton. It's not Tim Burton. It's not Tim Burton. No, that would have been thankfully. A, yeah, th- yeah, it would have yeah. been a worse movie if it were Tim <laughs> yeah. Burton. Could it be so on the nose and like slapsticky? Yeah, um, I don't know. Um, so this writer wrote this movie with Stanley Kubrick in mind. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. oh, his name flew in my head. And, I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> and tried really hard to get Kubrick that, to actually direct it. That would but then a, found a it impossible, obviously. Yeah. So it'd be like a Clockwork Orange sort of thing. Yeah. It, it, or it'll, it'll be somewhere between Clockwork Orange and um, Dr. Strangelove. Dr. Strangelove, right? Yeah. yeah. It, he has comedy chops, like Kubrick does. Well, right? it's specifically satire chops. Yeah. Right. Maybe like some full metal jacket in it, first half. Yeah, like there are even funny moments there. Um, so, yeah, he could have done it. That would have been a totally different, obviously, a totally different movie. Yeah, that could have been crazy. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's already a crazy movie, but right. like, imagine Kubrick's take on this. <laughs> 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 yeah, because the guy he ended up with it was his first directing job. He had not done any, he had some short film before this, but this was his first major feature length film. Um, and since then, he hasn't done a ton. Mostly, he's found his way onto like premium cable TV. Um, but yeah, not that many feature-length movies. So yeah, this would have been totally different with with that perspective. The writer has some rangy credits. <laughs> For instance, <laughs> well, he does end up working with Tim Burton. He wrote Batman Returns. Yeah. <laughs> um, he wrote Hudson Hawk. Wait, no, Batman Returns is a good one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Same director, Hudson Hawk, and um, the guy that did this one, Lehman. So they work together. Again. Yeah. Demolition Man. Okay. All right. <laughs> and uh, their recent Vampire Academy. Oh, 2014. Okay. Which is a weird, bad, but kind of good movie, uh, I know. too. It's Absolutely. Like, as soon as it said Vampire in the title, I just kind of checked out. <laughs> yeah. It was not great. But there, <laughs> there are, like, good elements of the movie. Okay. But, yeah. That's, that's something. Um. The Heathers. What do we think about the Heathers? <laughs> no, the uh, the other Heathers beyond the 
the, I think yeah. that the performance from Heather One, the first one to die, Red Heather, was, yeah, was yeah. great. Like I loved it. I loved like how mean she was. I love it. It felt like like a crueler Regina George, right? Like you can see the the Mean Girls influence in a direct way here. Um, yeah, like she was my she was my favorite one. <laughs> like it's a sh- same shame she had to go so early. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Shannon uh, Doherty, Green Heather, Green Heather uh, yeah. was on Nano Two One O and Charmed and some other big TV show. Yeah, um, I like how quickly she adapts the the Red Heather's uh, persona. Yeah, like, as soon as she has an opportunity, uh, they kind of make the movie really like the. She like, gets kind of goaded into it by Christian Slater, though. Right, and then she's just like, "Wait, Which this is, is interesting because he's kind of <laughs> creating more objects for him to to rationalize murdering in a way." Right, or like like a serial the, killer. Yeah, might. or moving yeah, the yeah. process along, like saying, "Like you're going to get there eventually anyway," <laughs> or assuming she is. Yeah, and like now I can kill you. Um, so yes, it is very serial killery. Um, but yeah, I think they're great. I think they set the tone for the movie really well. I think that, yeah, that they're super good. Yeah, they, they're, I, I found them to be really comical. That And they, they did a great job of just, like, being monsters again. Like, yeah. Yeah. They, they're awful people. They, yes. And, and, and they're awful and people. And they delight in it. Right, yeah. right. They're, yeah. they're sadistic people. Right? Yes. It's beyond awful. And I think that they do such a great job of communicating that, that sadism so early on that, you kind of don't feel that bad for her when she dies, right? Like you're, you're. She does a lot of awful stuff, right? And you're kind of like, this isn't so bad. Like, right? If I could pick someone to accidentally drink the cup of Drano, like yeah. <laughs> maybe that's not. Then a bad you question choice. yourself, right? You're right. Like, Wait, who am I now? Right. Exactly. Um, and so maybe that's the journey that uh, yeah. Winona Ryder takes in this movie. But and her yeah. Shakespearean death is like. Hilarious. Her Shakespearean death? Yeah. Because yeah. she like way over oh, like, yeah, grabs yeah. her throat and oh, like, yeah. it's choking and like yeah. And plows through the glass table. Yeah. Right. Really hard. Yeah. yeah. I, I like that the Cliff Notes yeah. bell jar mattered because I noticed it earlier in the scene. I'm like, oh that's a cute little thing. Oh, okay. And yeah, yeah, there she goes. Yeah. <laughs> um so color is really important to the Heathers. Yep. Yeah. Um, oh, I love me some color. Yeah. So, I like that they were color coded. Yeah. Which it would be impossible to tell them apart, right? Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, because they're all named Heather. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, really, really love the use of primary colors and yeah. versus secondary colors. So, the major like paint primary colors are uh, red, yellow, and blue, right? Yeah. So we have two Heathers: we have red and yellow Heather, and then Veronica, who's blue, right, yeah. in in the group. So green is a secondary color, mm-hmm. right? You mix yellow and blue and you get green. Mm-hmm. When red Heather dies, secondary color Heather becomes a primary color yeah. Heather oh. and moves up to red. Yeah. Which I yeah. love that detail. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that is great. Whatever art director chose that is... That might be in the script. I love that. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Be, yeah, I'm wondering where that I just, showed up. I just love that her house was color-coded red yes. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, every, everything is, and they they yeah. like their croquet mallets and balls match up with their yeah, colors. Yeah, and even when uh, the other like glasses wearing friend joins in, she has her own croquet set that's orange. Yeah, Betty, I like yeah. I like that as Betty and Veronica. Yeah, again, exactly. so she's again like a secondary oh, Archie. Oh, I, I don't. The, the the two female leads in the Archie comics are Betty and Veronica. Okay, and I think that like the reboot, they eventually come out as gay, right? I, I don't follow. Maybe Archie. not. I don't either. But I remember hearing that at some point. Maybe I'm making it up. Um, 
Yeah, so again, orange being another secondary color. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And then Christian Slater, his house is coated black and white. Yes. In, like, a very, like, 80s ultra-modern way. Yeah, well, and he's wearing that big, long black coat the whole time. Mm -hmm. One yeah. thing I wondered about was yeah. that Veronica has that game of Go just sitting in her room. I don't know That's if true. that was meant to signify something about... Well, I mean, it's it's I another morality or something. I don't know if that's reading too much in the a prop. No, I think that it, that it's legitimate because um, it's yeah, it's another color coded uh, moment. Yeah. I think and she's also meant to be seen as like the intellectual of the group, yes. and yeah. because she wears a monocle and like <laughs> she writes with like a feather at one point. I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, well, and, and she explicitly yeah. says that she's really smart and like got good grades, mm -hmm. right? Like so. Yeah, yeah, that it's not subtle about that. Point. She also calls her dad an idiot multiple times. Right, and it's like, like a running yeah. gag, I guess. Yeah, but it's not clear if he's really in on it <laughs> or not. I don't think he is. Yeah. He, yeah, he doesn't seem he that smart to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah I, my favorite line from the dad is when um, whoever it is shows up, or when Veronica shows up and is like yelling at him, and she says something about being patronizing to a bunny. He's like, I've never patronized a bunny <laughs> rat before. <laughs> and it's just such a weird <laughs> thing to get upset about. Yeah. And like, that, that one cracked me up. Um, the other line that I like a lot, and I think it's probably really the most important line in the movie I wrote down, um, is from the teacher, like the hippie teacher that wants to do all the yeah. ceremonies and stuff. And she mm -hmm. says, oh, whether to kill yourself or not is one of the most important decisions a teenager can make. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so complicated. That right? does stand out. Because uh, I was reminded of uh, Camus when watching this, the philosopher, who talked about that very thing, like how you, we have a responsibility to confront suicide, right? Mm -hmm. Like when we realize that the world is a horrible, unjust place, when we realize that there is no God, and therefore we can't draw our morality from God, and there isn't any meaning, and we're confronted with the logic of nihilism. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to seriously consider killing yourself, right? Like, as a, the only way to do anything. And he eventually decides that, that is, his answer is no, <laughs> not kill yourself. Um, but he does posit the point that we have a, almost an ethical responsibility to ourselves to think about it in a serious way, and to confront mm -hmm the impulse, right? And I think that this movie is grappling with that in a lot of ways, right? Not, not just the tragedy of teenage suicide, you know, as a sociological fact, but the impulse towards suicide as a philosophical fact and a psychological fact. And the fame that it brings. Yes, yes. Because, yeah. yeah, that's the other yeah. point that this raises several times is that in death, your life becomes complete right like that and therefore meaningful and therefore meaningful yeah and therefore changeable right like the the these people are once you have all the facts you can modify them and these people's lives the facts of their lives are modified because there's nothing that can yeah. happen afterwards to contradict them and like they get so much meaning to their character through their deaths right exactly and, and that's and, and you know narrative works the same way right like the only reason stories function is because they have an end Right, and the only yeah. way that a story can can do anything is if there's a conclusion to it, and that's where the meaning is drawn from. And people's lives are often treated the same way. Mm -hmm. that, that death is the most important thing that can happen to you because without it, nothing else has any context or meaning. Um, and so, yeah, I think that this movie, especially the fame through suicide thing, is uh, is very true and very critical to to what this movie's talking about. And kind of mirrors apparently how like sort of like suicide epidemics mm -hmm. actually happen yeah. in 
particularly among teens. Yeah. So like when one person does it, there there seems to be like an epidemic of it in, yeah. in a geographic area. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, and, and this <laughs> is why, right? It's because you see the classmate that died, and everybody is crying over their corpse and telling, saying all this great stuff about him, and they have a yeah. service at school, and there's a funeral, and all these people show up to the funeral, and. If you are a teenager who feels like your life doesn't matter and that you don't have any meaning and that there's you have nothing going on, and here's this easy way to have yeah. all sorts of meaning and attention, you know, there you go. Um, so I'm not sure if this movie is anti-suicide or not, so much that it's just simply about suicide. Right. I, yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It, if anything, it thinks it's funny. <laughs> it's got to be anti, right? Because it overtly portrays all the reactions as very fake. Yes. And so it wants to remind you that despite all this attention that it's can not be real. gotten through suicide, yeah, it's it's all disingenuous. Yeah. I, I mean, it kind of hinges on how you view Slater at the end of this movie, right? Mm-hmm. And like how right or wrong you think he is about blowing up the school. Um, I, most people are going to say that blowing up high school is wrong, and they're probably <laughs> correct. Um, but the movie is—it's it, not ambiguous about it, but it's—it uh, treats it strangely, right? Like it—it it doesn't because it makes it so cartoonish at the end. It makes him so much of it just like a horror movie villain. At the end. It doesn't condemn him for like wanting to do it, right? Yeah, it—it it, it condemns doing it. Right, because they stymie him, and then she's treated as like a hero at the end of it. Because she, because yeah, she befriends like the unpopular girl, and it's, like invites her over to watch movies or whatever. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily Which is, like manipulative in its own <laughs> yeah, way. There's yeah. that. Yeah. It doesn't really attack his reasoning. No, right? it it it's it's not really going after like the what drove him to that point, and that's a bold stance. <laughs> it's. It's the only, for the writer, it seems to be the only solution to destroy the sort of social hierarchy is to completely blow it up. Right. 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 That's, and that's and the statement that it's trying to make at the end, right? Yes. Yeah. Or like the only way to get rid of social hierarchy is to have no people. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. one very grim way of looking at it. But yeah. Or, or to yeah. destroy the existing <laughs> hierarchy. Structure. Yeah, yeah. Structure. Yeah. Right. Which is represented by the building and students in it. Right. Which yeah. Slater yeah. says explicitly, right? Yeah. He says like this is just a stand-in for society and like he has this angsty teenager speech about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that that may be the perspective there, that the only way to fix these problems is to start anew. To construct something fresh. That So in that sense, it's a... During, it's during a pep rally too, yes. right? Which is like this very like manufactured moment. Mm -hmm. It's a manufactured moment and it's also the high school equivalent of nationalism, right? Because like rooting for your high school doesn't make any sense, right? (laughs) It's a bunch of people that are there by the sheerest coincidence of location and time that have really not that much in common with one another necessarily and you're not, and you're just rooting for, for laundry, right? And like to for it to be treated as seriously as it does looks a lot like how people treat their countries, which is also, again, the sheerest accident of birth. And Christian Slater's the only only able to see that because he's an outsider. Right, an outsider who... Uh, he's a foreigner within, yeah, within the high yeah. school. Yeah. And, and, an outsider who 
is not from a specific other place, right? Like they, yeah. they make this point early on that he traveled around all the time and like his yeah. dad's job as a guy who blows up buildings requires that for some reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he is a man without a country in a lot of ways. He's, yeah. Also, he's you have a to wonder, another detail I, I remember now, you have to wonder if he's done this before at other places because yeah. he, he belts out the suicide note just like immediately yeah. and then he's got like, Winona Ryder's like, well, that's really good. Have you done this before? Like, yeah. yes, you just says it outright. Ooh, yeah, that's a good detail. I didn't pick up on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which would fall fall in line again with his uh, serial killer uh, identity, right? Because they, yeah, uh, it fits that kind of horror movie trope. Right. Well, and the actual serial killer trope of moving yeah. around a lot and yeah. operating in different areas and using that as a means to hide yeah. uh, your killing, um, which is would explain more easily why the dad moves around rather than having to do it for work because he is a demolition expert or something. Yeah. It's believable. It is. A lot of those like specialized construction jobs are That's you know, from place to place. So Yeah. That's yeah. what he wants you to believe. It works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that there's a lot of uh, layers going on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The uh, I love all the like '80s signifiers. Oh yeah, too. They're the, they're great and like in big detail. Yeah, the uh, um the shoulder pads, shoulder pads, <laughs> the fucking the, shoulder pads. Yeah, um, yeah. There's there are so many. Um, nobody's clothes fit. Like that's the big one. The um, big yeah. It's like a pre grunge uh, grunge moment. Yeah, idiot yeah. would have been like right. I guess the 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 pixies are a thing at that point. So the. Nirvana hasn't had a chance to rip them off yet. Yeah, I mean, this is like a, a lot of like David Byrne influence, right? Sure. In fashion. Sure. Yeah. He, he, wears, also, he, he wears these like. What? He's, Wait. Did you, you you said you don't know who David Byrne is? I don't think so. The Talking Heads. He's well, I know the, the like, band. I don't know any, the names of any. He's like the lead singer of the Talking yeah, Heads, and he's writer and done do many other things. He's right. a famous artist too. Yeah. I think he wrote some plays at some point. Oh. Yeah. He's a cool guy. He's, uh, he's a weird dude. Known for one particular moment in his career where he wore these, like, extremely oversized suits. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like, but it's also a part of, like, women's fashion at the time that they, they wear start to wear men's clothing and larger shoulder-padded suits, like, make them look, like, armored in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that is what it looks like. Yeah. And it's interesting that uh, in the opening sequence... You see the Heathers with like these very stereotypical women's blazers with the giant shoulders, and yeah. Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder's character kind of doesn't do that. Like she looks like she's kind of almost mimicking it rather than really adapting it. Yeah, she's like a pre-goth or like gunge. Right, because she's uh, she got some very interesting yeah. uh, outfits in Sar this movie. Sartorial choices, yeah. yeah. The fashion's awesome in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, and I, I mentioned it before, but Christian Slater's big duster that he wears again, just a very striking choice that is nowhere close to fitting him. Um, I think it kind of uh, makes the characters look younger too, mm -hmm. um, because you're wearing like adult clothes. Because you're wearing adult yeah. clothes, you're wearing big. adult clothes that don't yeah. fit. Um, so I think it draws attention to their age, especially since they cast a bunch of people who are not actually high schoolers. When yeah. did work? Oh, so Working Girl came out in 88, which is also sort of known for, like, its oversized, like, women's yes. office apparel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Was that the Harrison Ford one, or was that the... Um, yeah, Harrison Ford, yeah. Sigourney Weaver, Melanie Griffith, Baldwin, yeah. Joe Cusack. Have you seen yeah. Working Girl? Nope. Okay. I don't think I've heard It's of known it. as the, the sister movie to Die Hard. <laughs> what? Yeah. Why? Um, I had not heard that. 
Yeah, it's the 80s. So they both come out in 88. Okay. And like Die Hard is like the men's movie of the year and Work, oh. Working Girls like the women's oh. movie of the year. Okay, in that sense. Yeah. Uh, there's a Bob's Burgers episode about this where <laughs> oh. there are competing musicals for that they're going to perform. Oh, wait, no, I've school. seen that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Seen that one. And they end up having to combine them into yes. Work Hard or Die Trying Girl or something. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah, that was a good episode. Yeah, it's a very good episode. Yeah, I do remember that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, th- so yeah, this movie is another example of it's. It feels like one of those rare cultural artifacts that is aware of the culture it's currently experiencing. Yeah, in a way that is conscious enough to step outside of it, right? So like, it kind of understands that '80s fashion is weird and and absurd and not going to last, and like it, it understands like, right? Yeah, you know, it makes you look silly, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of understands. Same thing with the music, like with the MTV fake MTV song mm-hmm. and the MTV video games line. Like <laughs> yeah. it, it understands that these things are like how they situate in a space outside of their current space, and that it's really hard to do. Like, there aren't that many examples of someone that can have that kind of perspective on what's going on currently around them. Um, so I think it, that, that's a credit to the director and to the writer um, that it, you don't see in many other, other movies. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. This, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, uh, yeah, I was going to add to that that it's also, which I think Charles was referencing earlier, it's shot like a, like a teen show. Sure. Or like a, a movie that you'd show in school about suicide. Okay. <laughs> so, so that like that like general like haze of the movie, like the yeah. slight unfocus, which back in the day they just used to put like yeah, like glycerin gel. on the lens. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I was trying to, to achieve that effect. I think this is really trying to mimic that, if not doing that. In, yeah. In a lot of the scenes. Yeah. yeah it, it, they still do that sometimes, where they literally put something on the lens uh, to alter the the image. Um, they, they famously did it with uh, in Goodwill Hunting at the beginning of Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know the, the sequence where he's like doing the math on the on the mirror, and it, like it looks like this like kaleidoscopic image. They literally just like took a, a crystal and put it in front of the lens mm-hmm. and like rotated it slowly and shot then shot the thing. So yeah, so I think they're doing the same the similar effect here. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So um, yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's a movie that. Um, is very aware of where it is and like when it is being made and and what it's responding to, which I think you kind of need to be if you're going to be an effective satire, um, which this probably is. Right, this constitutes a satire. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah totally. If not an endorsement of right, that's that's yeah. why it might not be right. Yeah. Like that's that's running right up against <laughs> that line between because a satire is supposed to be condemning the thing it's depicting. But that's why I think it's so good, right? Because it's yeah. like. It actually plays a line where it's like it kind of like the people who suffer in this movie are not the people who suffer in most movies, right? Right. Like if you if you take like an extremely moral like the the really conservative like morality of say um uh, what's the uh, tombstone? Oh yeah. So if we do like t- tombstone, right, where you like you appoint yourself a sheriff and you go out and you kill bad guys, right? This movie is like the people who have appointed themselves sheriff. It kills. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like the the leaders of this high school society are the ones that this movie punishes. Right. 
Uh, although it's still, <laughs> it's but it's punishing them through Slater, right? Who is just as self-appointed as yes. they are, right? So like it's. It's kind of a who watches the Watchmen question, right? Because yeah. we can agree that the people that died here are not, you know, shining examples of humanity. Yes. Yeah. But Christian Slater's character definitely isn't either, mm-hmm. right? And is still doing the killing the people that don't like sort of thing, right? And yeah. like, the same thing, right? And you know, is killing people you don't like really that different, or is it really that much better than making fun of people who don't deserve it, right? Like, does the punishment fit the crime here? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So it's kind of playing with those dynamics, also playing with our dynamics of like how loose we get with our morals when we watch movies. Um, pretty darn loose. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of those angles at play. And that's why I question whether or not it's a satire, because a satire is not supposed to be endorsing the thing it's depicting. Yeah, and I don't have an answer to that, but <laughs> that's a thing I thought about when watching it. Uh, so uh, what'd you, how'd you feel about Heathers? Is this something you would, would you want to watch something like this well, again? I don't know. I don't think I like this movie that much. (laughs) So I would say that the 80s is my decade. Like a lot of people have an affinity for a certain decade. You got those 60s people. You got the 70s people. I'm an 80s guy. You know, I love 80s music. I love a lot of 80s movies and 80s sci-fi. I like a lot of the style, all that sort of thing. But one thing I really hate is the 80s weirdness. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. There's a certain like 80s weirdness that is present in a lot of movies and media made back I, then. I feel like you'd be um, able to articulate this better if you were more familiar with David Byrne. Because he is 80s weird. <laughs> he is a weird guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of it has yeah. to do with the presence of you know, some of the like usage of stop motion um, and you know, like those weird creatures they create, kind of like the thing. Um, but also a lot of the weirdness that is present in this movie, just some of the weird choices made i feel like i've seen a lot of media that kind of has that element to it you know like the weird uh, camera style Mm -hmm. yeah well and there's like an unrealness to it yeah yeah yeah, something uncanny about it but there's just that 80s weirdness that i hate it's the one one of the few things that has come out of the 80s that i do not like and that's like everything about this movie (laughs) so well i'm not a fan no, I was going to say, that there aren't that many movies that are like this, right? Like, I don't think you'll find this particular style of film that It fit with that my often. perception of that 80s weirdness that I was okay. trying to describe. I think that I really some of the like. themes that Charles is touching on is pervasive in 80s media. Sure, so like, yeah. And I think where it comes from is a reaction to the Reagan era. Yes. So Reagan era marks like a real shift back towards like sort of religious morality. Mm. And I think a lot of the people who'd sort of feel outside of that or trying to work against that, you'd see this in media in ways where the morality of the films and characters within the films is like a hard reaction against that like sort of religious right that's being brought back into the country yeah. that had stepped out for a couple decades. Um, so I think you see this like even in like the children's media of the time are ostensibly horror movies. Like Yeah, that's something I, I was Labyrinth, thinking about as well. Labyrinth comes to mind, um, Beetlejuice, like Edward Scissorhands, um, all the, Batman Returns is another, it, although it happens in the 90s, Batman, like yeah. 
the crow. Like the country gets really dark at this time and like pretty depressed. And I yeah, think that, that kind of eighties feel. I yeah. still kind of grossed out by it, right? And yeah. this movie doesn't quite go to that length, really. But it gave me that same gross feeling. It had some of that same uncanniness and strangeness that made me feel gross. Yeah, I get, yeah, and I think it's also a reaction to like media that embraced it. So like the sort of Ferris Bueller's days off, he's like a high school kid and he like gets into high drinks and this movie's like, no, like <laughs> F that, we're just going to like shoot these people. Actually, that's than, like, probably the best yeah. John Hughes comparison here, right? Yeah. Is Ferris Bueller, right? Because right. The, the Christian Slater character is just like Ferris Bueller if you like killing people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that, it, that I think hits the nail on the head. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Because, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Like the, this, I, I think, sorry, to, to go on that, like this yeah. movie I think is like saying that like, <clears throat> no, the, the, the John Hughes, John Hughes version is incorrect <laughs> yeah that's it like, like high school is not a good time the people who are in high schools are terrible the people that you experience in high school are terrible and this is a reaction like to that yeah well spe- yeah. specifically the people in the yeah. 80s in high school yes are yeah. terrible and in upper middle class high schools yes yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah it feels like these kinds of movies are more honest and more honest of, uh, in terms of what the experience of the 80s was like for a lot of people right that it for you had folks that were living the Reagan dream right and that could afford the fancy houses and the fancy cars and had great jobs and were making tons and tons of money doing something abhorrent and many many more people who were not enjoying that at all and that hasn't really changed uh, so it, it feels like this yeah you're absolutely right that it's it's reacting to a depiction in media that is a lie right it's re- it's reacting to something that is just so dishonest that you need to run in the opposite direction and you need to be using opposite aesthetics and opposite styles of acting and directing mm-hmm. in order to contradict what is so fundamentally untrue about the John Hughes of the world mm-hmm. and people like that. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, Nirvana comes out of this as yes. well, which makes complete sense, right? Because Nirvana is able to tap into this, like, you know, F adults, F society, yeah. at, like, music is not being made the correct way so yeah. we're gonna not join in yeah you know, they end up having to because yeah, they shift culture so dramatically and you but, see film making that same leap in the 90s as well you, you look at although i don't like kevin smith clerks is a very important movie in that respect that mm-hmm. it's critiquing how movies are made you look at like link later um with disconfused and slacker uh and stuff like that where he was just it, we should do a link later movie actually because I think that it would get to the we same do I- a link later yes because <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it would get to these same ideas about um, how a de- uh, how it can react to dishonest depictions but not be dark about it mm-hmm. right because you haven't seen Dazed and confused right no no so yeah I think that Dazed and confused is this like anti-plot movie mm-hmm. so where li- where this film and the and labyrinth and stuff like that is attacking these 80s dynamics in terms on the on the tonal level and on the like thematic level and things yeah, like that sort of like storybook thematics right yeah <clears throat> link later attacks it on the character and narrative level mm-hmm. by just making people that are more honest and doing more realistic things uh so i think that you see that same kind of uh dynamic on a different scale yeah yeah, and I think ultimately that's why I like this movie. It's like a, it's an anti eighties 
80s movie. Yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you seen, I feel like I've asked this before and I don't remember the answer, um, but I'm just a cheerleader. No, I, no. I have, I have talked about it. Yeah. Um, it has a f- similar feel to this movie. It's happier. Um, I, I, like there's no killing in it. Um, but it's the it's a story about a girl who's a cheerleader and also a lesbian and her comp- conservative parents find out and we're like, we're going to send you to a conversion camp. And she like, at no point in the movie understands that that's what's wrong with her or like why they're treating it as something that's wrong with her. She's just like, but I just happen to like this thing. And that thing is like, you know, making out with girls. And it's a <laughs> fascinating movie. It's a, and it's a funny movie. Um, and it, I was reminded of that one here. Yeah. yeah. Um, 80s are a weird time. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I was only there for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just missed it. <laughs> he just but, missed it. Yeah. But I love him for the most part. You know, it's funny. Uh, after thinking about this 80s weirdness that I've been talking about, even in movies that I love, well, I guess Total Recall, now I'm thinking about it, was like early 90s, was it? But it has that yeah. 80s feel. I think it's 89. I was thinking of Total yeah. Recall and Robocop are two movies that I love that have some of that 80s weirdness. Because like Total Recall, you have the weird, like, you have a lot of weird, like the belly dude and the alien. Yes. Total Recall is uh, 1990, so it was made in the it's 80s. It's basically an 80s. It looks yeah. like an 80s. Uh, or like Robocop, you get the dude who turns into a ghoul oh. and yeah. gets splattered. Like, you know, and a guy they have a those things cop. that I really hate, but I still love the rest of those movies. Well, yeah, and RoboCop is again like one of the like great critiques of the eighties, yeah. I think. Yeah. Of yeah. like eighties crime and reactions to crime and yes. fascism, stuff like that. Yeah, that's fascinating. Corporatism. Movie. Yeah. That yeah. that's a great movie. Yeah. And one of my favorites. Yeah. All right. So um next week we're doing another eighties movie? We are. Uh <laughs> <laughs> No, we're doing a 70s movie. That's right. Um, so we did our poll. Uh, it was within one vote. Yeah, it was yeah. tight. It was tight. So every vote counted except for the people that voted for Bloodsport because that was a distant <laughs> third. Um, but Rocky beat out Raging Bull by one vote. So we're going to watch Rocky next week. Uh, the Sylvester Stallone. 1976. 1976. Yep. Starring and written by um, Mr. Stallone. Yeah. Um, all-time great sports movie. Um, probably maybe the best boxing movie ever made next to Raging Bull. Um, so yeah, that, that's the one. But which one did you vote for, Charles? I voted for Raging Bull. Okay, I also voted for Raging Bull. But so this is my I first loss. Felt mostly indifferent between that and Rocky. I've yeah. heard lots of great things about both. Yeah, they're both great. You voted for Bloodsport. Yeah. Okay, so none of us got the one we voted for. <laughs> uh, but I still love. I mean, Rocky. I guess I, I like underrated. De Niro, so I wanted to see that. <laughs> yeah, have we done any De Niro movies? I don't think so. I don't know. I've seen a few of them. Like yeah. I've seen Taxi Driver. It's probably the one. That's my favorite. What was the one that you referenced earlier? The De Niro movie? Yeah. Um, Cam- Cape Fear? Cape Fear. Oh, yeah. That's another. Have you seen Cape Fear? Nope. Hey. We can, we can do Cape Fear. I haven't seen it. either version. Oh, you haven't seen it? No, I've seen both. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've seen yeah. The, the earlier one. No, I, I, I saw the Scorsese one. Yeah. yeah. The original is great, too. Okay, that one I haven't seen. Yeah. But um, Okay, so we can put that on the list, too. Um, anyway, next week is Rocky. Uh, I'll see you guys then. Thanks for thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can help us reach a larger audience by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. It only takes a minute and makes a big difference. Thanks, and enjoy the episode.